This episode of the Food Truck Scholar podcast is brought to you by Dear Diaspora. Hear the stories of entrepreneurs and changemakers across the African diaspora. Available now wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Food Truck Scholar Podcast. I'm your host, Ariel D. Smith, and I appreciate you for choosing to kick it with me for yet another episode. Over the past year, I've had the opportunity to talk to many food truck owners and many food truck organizers and even food truck app developers from around the country. But I have never brought to you someone who has been a food truck employee. Well, today's guest has done it all. Not only has she been a food truck employee, but she's also been a huckster, she's a hustler, and she is now an academic. Dr. P. Gabrielle Foreman is the founding director of the award-winning Colored Conventions Project and co-directs the Center for Black Digital Research, hashtag DigBlack. She is the professor of English, African-American studies, and history at Penn State, where she also holds an endowed chair. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Foreman about it all. We discuss what was it like working on a food truck at the very genesis of the food truck movement back in the 70s, and what in the world does this one avocado sandwich have to do with her career and her love life and her everyday praxis? You'll find out soon enough. But for now, sit back and relax. The show starts now. What I love about season two of the Food Trust Scholar podcast is that I'm having the opportunity to branch out and talk to everyone. So season one, we had a really great time interviewing a lot of food truck owners. We interviewed uh, a lot of food truck organizers. This time, we're going to have multiple people come on here. So not only food truck owners, food truck organizers, but also people who may have worked on a food truck, um, people who deal with policies surrounding food trucks. And people who may have owned a food truck at one point, but don't anymore. So right now, I am so excited and so privileged to have Dr. Gabrielle Foreman on the show. Welcome, Dr. Foreman. Do you mind just taking a moment introducing yourself to everybody, um, the current institution where you're based? Sure. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I am just moving from University of Delaware, where I've been for eight years, to Penn State University, where I'm joining Shirley Moody Turner and Jim Casey to launch a Center for Black Digital Research, which we're calling Dig Black or Dig Black, you know, because we code switch. And so that's what I'm doing. And I'm a name chair. I don't know how that happened. But along the way, I picked one of those up in, in English, history, and African American studies. I'm excited about this Dig Black. I'm excited. Yes. Yes, but today we get to talk about food, and I really loved that kind of meditation about how food um, informs the kind of work that we're doing today. So I'm looking forward to being able to discuss and explore that, too. Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of people think that professors don't have lives outside of teaching. So I want to actually ask you, do you enjoy cooking during your spare time? Or if not, is there a favorite food that you have? See, why are you going to put all my business up out on Front Street just to begin with? So when, when, I, uh, when, my, when my husband and I got married, I said that I wanted to go on international food trips, like cooking trips, 
you know? I was like, well, that's what I want to do. And that boy knows he does not like to travel. He could cook, but he does not like to travel. And he said, oh, yes, we're going to do that. And we have not been on one. So, yes, I love to cook. And part of that has to do with my work experience um, and working for caterers and food trucks. And so um, a lot of the kinds of, um, I don't know, there, there's a link directly from my food truck experiences to the first date with my husband many years later. And so I'll tell you about that in a minute if you're, if you're interested. You know I am. Food, love, and food trucks. Who, 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 let's go. All right. So I worked in a food truck, and this must have been like my third or fourth or fifth job um, that had to do with food. And I was 15 or 16 when I started working for a black food truck owner um, in the 19, oh gosh, 70s, in the late 1970s. So this brother was ahead of the curve. And he used to make these amazing vegetable sandwiches. So he'd chop up all of these vegetables like yams and asparagus and broccoli, cauliflower, onions and peppers. And then he would melt cheese over them, and then he would put avocado on this amazing wheat bread and sprouts and tomatoes. And this became – and then he would sell these, these sandwiches. And they were messy. I mean, you think a taco is messy, right? Like, you think lonchero food is messy. Like, but a vegetable sandwich with all that chopped up vegetables is really messy. So I, I was really interested, you know, looking back when I started engaging your work, um, I was like, wow. Okay, so this was a brother who had – uh, a, a food truck in the 70s, and you may know much more. They, they might be like, you know, around for many, 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 many years out in Los Angeles on Venice Beach, where I was working for him, and like right on the boardwalk in Venice Beach. And he was selling these vegetable sandwiches to, you know, to, to mostly black folks, but to whoever else was there too. And then this, this sandwich went with me and became one of my staples. And when my husband got off the plane for the first time to visit me, and he was the dude who got off the plane to visit me, he was not yet my husband, <laughs> I took him to Venice Beach, and we sat on one of, um, actually, to, the, to the, the canals, and we sat on one of the bridges between the canals, and he was a vegan, and is a vegan, is a long, long-term vegan, and I handed him this vegetable sandwich, and, you know, maybe four years later, he was like, and that first date? And that vegetable sandwich and the duck poop on the bridge. And I was like, how did I get involved with this hippie sister? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that is the story of the food truck and my marriage. <laughs> Look, hey, that food truck sealed the deal for you. Hey, now, you know, I mean, it had to be good because he ate it, you know, despite <laughs> despite all the messiness on the bridge. So. Yeah, it worked out. It worked out. You know, what I'm loving about your story is that, you know, you was doing this in the 70s. So you was actually in the very genesis of it. So we're talking about um, the modern day food truck as we would think about it about 1974. Mm -hmm. I'm blanking out on the name of the gentleman right now, but he actually took an old ice cream truck, converted it into a taco truck and parked it outside of a nightclub. I think it was like East L.A. And so what I love about the irony of it is that hip hop started a year before. So they literally were two things that grew up together. But here you are in the genesis of it all. And, you know, we can trace um, mobile food vending and more specifically black mobile food vending 
over a longer course of time when we introduce concepts right. in terms like the Great Migration, uh, Reconstruction, all the other type of things. It's always been part of our history. I am what I am, right? An invisible man, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Come on, literature scholar. <laughs> but I love the opportunity to talk to people who have worked on the food truck that aren't the owners and the um, the experiences and the memories that they have. So, of course, there's the love story. But what about working on a truck? It can be hot. It can be fast paced. So what was it like working on the truck? You know, it's interesting that you said he also, you know, that the that the original brother who you charted um, in 74, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Um, also went to went to two nightclubs in East L.A. because probably the most dangerous thing I did, I was a senior in high school. I was living alone um, and working three jobs and going to school. Um, and, and this is my senior year of high school is I went out with the guy who was the head of this food truck to a nightclub and just traveled with him all, you know, all night selling hot dogs and stuff out of this food truck. Um, so it was a very different experience and nothing happened to me at all. He was a perfect gentleman. It was totally about work, but I always, you know, um, think about grace, right? Being out all night at a nightclub with, you know, someone you had worked with for six months or three months. I think it was six months at that point, but that, you know, anything could have happened. So, you know, there are those moments where you think, thank you, angels. And thank you, all the men who are, um, men who don't threaten, right. You know, Mm -hmm. people, um, while they're working with them too. In any case, so so I, I did that in LA. I, I went from the lawn chair, you know, from the, the food truck owned by this wonderful, fabulous brother on Venice Beach to these nightclubs um, as well. So he was also involved in that economy. So I just wanted to put that there. I loved working on this food truck. As I said, I had already sold pretzels on the beach when I was, I think I started doing that when I was 13. I had sold um, chip witches, those ice cream, remember those ice cream, um, chocolate chip ice cream Mm -hmm. sandwiches? I I had sold those on the beach. um, And I was a hawker, man. I I, I talked a lot of mess. You know, I mean, I used to talk about how I had pushed this cart from Coney Island and, you know, all the way to Venice Beach. I was 13 or 14 talking all kinds of mess on the boardwalk. And then I um, had worked at uh, the Meatless Mess Hall, which was also on the boardwalks. And then I had worked in Chicago, the south side of Chicago, where I spent the year um, before I moved to, to California permanently. Um, and so I had a lot of work experiences. And what I really loved about the food truck was the positivity of the brother who owned it. And the face, the really fast-paced nature of it. And there was something about those closed spaces and the coordination it took to get the food quickly mm-hmm. um, through, you know, like, um, that, you know, like, and this is a while back, but, you know, it was like, you didn't want to get burned, right? You know, <laughs> like, there wasn't a lot of space. And it felt almost like you were dancing, right? Like, because you had to coordinate the space and the food and the preparation, right? And keeping the folks in line and happy. And so there was, it was, um, there was a lot of movement, right? Like you, you had to, there was, I don't know, it felt very body, like you were in your body. And then it, it also moved very quickly. And then the, the, the owner was just a really positive guy. You know, he was just, he was a cool dude. and so. I think that obviously I would not have, I mean, I still make this sandwich to this day, right? Wow. Like it's still in my rotation, like my regular rotation. And I make it sometimes with tarragon, 
Um, like I'll make it sometimes with like the French spices, like go in tarragon, and then sometimes I'll make it with turmeric, right? Like and go with those Indian spices. So like they're different versions. Like what am I in the mood for, right? The fact that that sandwich is in still rotation says something about the kind of positive experience that it, you know, that it entered. It entered through this positive experience, and it, and it brings me joy to this day. Um, not only because it tastes really, really good, but also because it clearly harkens back to these experiences of work and independence and work and independence, I think, on that, that is part of my not only food truck experience, but my career getting through high school, college and grad school, which was all about doing work with black food entrepreneurs. And, and I got to do that all the way through graduate school with black women caterers in, um, in Berkeley, California and San Francisco. So I got to ask, because you've been hucking and hustling since you was like, what, 13, you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what got you into the industry? Poverty, girl. Shoot. <laughs> I mean, like, OK, I mean, I I didn't much like being poor. I liked better food than we could necessarily afford. I always ate. You know, I mean, my, my parents always thought to it that I ate. My dad, we didn't have a lot of money, but my dad was a, it was a, we would now call him a foodie. He was, de- you know, he took me and he was like, he was a single guy. So he wasn't cooking. We were in a 450 square foot apartment on Venice Beach, right, where I was sleeping in a very large closet, right, when I went to visit my dad for the summers. But we also lived on the boardwalk, right? So I spent my days on the beach with, you know, books. And my dad would send me to the beach with these two big German shepherds and these books. And then and then he went out to eat a lot. So he introduced me to Japanese food and Ethiopian food and Malaysian food. Well, maybe not Malaysian food. All kinds of different foods my dad introduced me to. So I always liked I, I associated food with a certain kind of freedom, mm. um, the ability to eat what I wanted and to eat and, and to explore different flavors and different cuisines as a certain kind of agency and freedom. Mm-hmm. And then when I got an opportunity to work in high end catering in high school, so we were working for the best caterers and going to very wealthy people's houses and eating London broil and and I, I gravitated toward the kitchen. So I would hang out with the cooks who would, you know, you know, be upset if I touched their knives, right? And, and learned a lot about food through work, through compensated work. And so that catering happened for those major catering places. And then by the time I went to graduate school at Berkeley in the Ethnic Studies PhD program, I was really interested in working for and with Black women and that may again have had to do with that food truck experience, right? That early experience working with a black entrepreneur who felt like an egalitarian, fun, um, lively agent of his own destiny who was also invested in community because eating is about community. And, and so I ended up working for two sisters who were caterers in San Francisco and then a sister who had a popcorn shop. And again, we and, and she used to put all these different spices on her popcorn, and she worked at Berkeley. And to this day, we put all kinds of spices on our popcorn. I just did it last night, you know, like all kinds of stuff on our popcorn. And that comes directly from working with, you know, somebody who was really um, interested in, in making their livelihood through food and community making early, early, much earlier in my career. 
So my food career and my academic career in some ways were linked because like I needed to work and I worked in food and I enjoyed good food as a result. You know, what I'm hearing a lot in your narrative is this ability to enjoy freedom within a restricted space, whether literally or figuratively through food. So even though you grew up in poverty, there was this uh, this space of agency and freedom that came through food. And then in the food truck, when you was talking about uh, comparing it to dancing, like you're in this confined space and yet you have to be light on your feet and you have to move from the back to the top and to be able to make sure that you get everything prepared and out to the customer yep. in a quick amount of time yep. in a very graceful and effortless manner, making sure that everything is plated beautifully. You know, even if it's messy, you know, it still has like beauty within that mess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I love how it started as, you know, early teenager, early adolescent into graduate school and this ability to create, agency where oftentimes there is restriction and so let's talk more about the way the food truck has you know brought its way into what you do now so when you're thinking about the skills and the experiences that you've had working on that food truck how do you see it translate into the work that you do now I I love that question and make sure I get to it but I want to finish the arc of the story about from adolescent in economic poverty. I mean, we had a cultural yes. richness and family richness and support, but economic poverty through my first job. So I, I worked for those places that I just discussed or I just talked a little bit about in grad school. And then in my first job, I worked in um, Eastern Market in Detroit selling fruit. And that's how I paid off my first car. So every weekend, so I was working like as an assistant professor, right? And every weekend I would go sell fruit and I was very good at it. So I was getting paid top dollar and I was bringing all that food home, right? So, you know, all the excess fruit, the, you know, the Asian apples and the watermelons and the purple asparagus and right, like all of that was coming home with me. And I used to throw these huge parties. I would cook and then I would invite people over. And I didn't know a lot of people right in Detroit the first year, but by the second year I was, you know, bringing all this food home, like, you know, um, cooking and inviting people over. So it was about community. And so the food also brought that. And I was an only child. So cooking was always a way to bring community into the home, right? When it, when that community wasn't, there weren't a whole bunch of people in the home, right? So that is true today. So I, um, I am one of the co-directors and one of the co-founders of a project called the Color Conventions Project. We, um, we bring buried uh, 19th century African-American organizing to digital life. It's become this award-winning project. And we always eat together. And um, we, have, we have had to um, talk um, about the fact that our budget line item around food is really high. Right? So, and we have made an effort and for the past three years, um, order from black owned food companies or food places or food shops. Right. And so that's sort of part of our ethics. We run a transcription project called Douglas day. And one of the things that we want people to do is to order cake for uh, Frederick Douglass's birthday. When we transcribe 
black records that otherwise wouldn't be buried together as an international community on February 14th, which is his chosen birthday, which is a day of love for black history. And we always say, please go to a black bakery to do that. So this kind of idea of dancing and freedom and creating space through food isn't specific to food trucks. But I think it is certainly true of my food truck experience. And that links us to larger diasporic foundational ways in which we as a community, and particularly Black women, relate to food. So I just love Paulie Marshall's Mm. interview about Kitchen Table, right? You know, and I love Kitchen Table Press, right? I love the name of Kitchen Table Press. And I love the Carrie Mae Weems, you know, photographic series around a kitchen table. And so when we work, we always have food because food is the way which we can build community and show care and also show an attentiveness towards the economic feasibility and viability of small black businesses like the one that was owned by the brother whose name I've forgotten, but whose presence is clearly still with me, um, who had a food truck on Venice Beach in the late 1970s and early 1980s. And it's just amazing. First of all, I want to make sure that I heard this right. So you was in Detroit as an assistant professor, right? Did I hear that correctly? And you was hustling fruit on the weekend. Yes, ma'am. And I paid off my first car that way. Um, Eventually, I'm going to write a book called From Welfare to Workaholic. (laughs) You know, if you ever need someone Uh to contribute a chapter on that, you know, I got through grad school (laughs) with five part-time jobs. No exaggeration. I really did have five part-time jobs during my my master's degree. So, and I have three now. So, um, yeah. If you need somebody, I, I am mean, we available. Don't wanna, we don't want to romanticize that. Like, we don't want to romanticize that. No, we don't. You no, know, at all. I, you know, we don't. And, I, you know, um, it worked for me. I was very blessed. But right now, one of the things that I do is I try, I spend a lot of time trying to make sure that my graduate students, the graduate students who are leaders in the projects that I work with, are compensated in ways that don't make them have to replicate the kind of experience that you and I, you know, um, are or have gone through. And I appreciate that because a lot of times what happens uh, when it comes to people of color and the stories that we have or just how we had to make it, um, oftentimes it's, oh, that's so amazing. Well, then if you did that, it should be fine. No, we're telling you this because no one should have to work five jobs just to arrive at this place. But if you do, but if you do, do work for good food places where you can eat well. (laughs) I second that. All right. <laughs> so. I second that. Well, you know what, <laughs> Dr. Foreman, I have absolutely enjoyed talking to you and talking about, you know, not just your work, but also how this this experience with the food truck has informed your work. You know, having this experience with this brother who created a sense of freedom and agency and fun in a very tight, fast-paced space (laughs) has not only, you know, impacted how the different jobs that you had after him is not only impacted your love life, it's not only impacted, you know, the food that you probably pack and eat, (laughs) you know, the food that you pack and eat on a daily basis, but it also has, you know, it's part of your pedagogy, if if I think about it that way. It's like, how do you connect with, engage, and impact those that you work with and those who look up to you as mentor 
And so I find that to be a very powerful practice and praxis. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, if anybody knows who he is, I, I mean, I would just love to, to, to figure out who he is. I think the thing about food trucks, too, is because they're in such close proximity that you remember the people in a different kind of way than when there's, you know, a lot of different spaces that you're occupying with lots of people, you know. So I just remember this brother because we worked together, you know, in that in that very small confined space. And um, there was no reason for a 16-year-old to keep in touch with a 40-year-old, and I didn't, you know. But if he's still around in the world, um, I hope that he he does have a sense of um, of how much I enjoyed working with him and how much it's impacted my, you know, my ongoing practices, as you said. And I, I think that's beautiful to hear, too, because for any profession, but, you know, including the food truck industry, it feels good to know that we made a difference along the way and that whatever vision we had, those that worked with us to help that vision become a reality, they also took lessons, um, moments and experiences with them that they cherish and that they value. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for telling the stories and making space for the stories that you're, that you're making possible. And thank you for bringing your story on board. Well, look, I'm out of time, but I'm definitely not out of material. Once again, thank you for listening to yet another episode of the Food Truck Scholar Podcast. If you're someone in the food truck industry that would like to be on the show, or if you're a food truck foodie who has a recommendation of a food truck I should try, email me at Ariel, that's A-R-I-E-L, at thefoodtruckscholar.com. And make sure that you're following the Food Trust Scholar on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But until next time, I'm Ariel, the Food Trust Scholar, signing off and reminding you to eat local, buy local, and support your neighborhood food truck. I'll see you soon.